What's up, skeptics? I'm your host, Zoe McDaniel, and you're listening to Professional Skepticism. Okay, so today is Monday, September 12th, and I have a special guest with me today by the name of Dad. (laughs) I am Dad. I am Michael. I am Dean. I am Dad. He's also Mike sometimes. Are you having a sip of water? Oh, I'm not supposed to do that. No, you can. Just let me know. Okay. (laughs) Go ahead. I'll just have a little sip of water. I will too. Ah, there we go. Yeah, it gets very dry in here. Yes, yeah, the air. There's no air in here. <laughs> yeah, even though the air guy said there was. Yeah, so for everyone who is listening, you guys know how I always complain about being really hot in the pod lab. Well, we had the HVAC guy come out, and he was basically just like, yeah, that's about as hot or as cool as it's going to get. So Basically, the, you know, the, the duct work ends in your room, and so where it ends, there's no way to distribute it anymore. Yeah. Which makes no sense, but that's what he said. I was kind of listening to it this morning in like a sleepy haze, and I was like, what? Like, is that it? Because it was so quick that he was here. Yeah, it's in and out. I don't get it. All right, well, this is Trap Dad. This is Mike. Michael. (laughs) Dean. Dean Dean the Butterbean. Is that Uh, what I'm saying? uh, Yeah. Yes. I can edit that out. <laughs> That's okay. That's what they call me when I was fat and five. <laughs> <laughs> so tell the people your zodiac sign and your pronouns. I'm an Aries and I am a he and a he. I don't know. You're he him. I'm he him, yeah. Yeah, so he uses he him pronouns. My dad is an Aries sun, Aquarius moon, Leo rising. So ladies, come get him. <laughs> Come get all of them. It's really interesting because you're a, um, I think Aquarius is air? I don't know. That's that's your specialty there. Let me double check. Yeah, so Aquarius is air. And so you have a Aries and Leo, that's fire. So you've got a fire and air sandwich. And then I am a Sagittarius Pisces Aries. So I have a fire water sandwich. And... I would say that we're very similar in that, like, we both have that kind of, like, bark and, like, yeah, we can be very extroverted, but we are introverted. But then I'm very emotional and get in my head a lot, and you're just very calm, cool, and collected, and you don't sit in that space ever, really. No, I don't. I really don't. I'm kind of always there. Yeah. You, like, feel your emotions and then move on. Well, yeah. It's like... When I go to dialysis right now, they're always freaking out about me having this low heart rate. And they're like, are you dizzy? Are you feeling bad? And I'm just like, nah, I feel good. I'm cool. I feel like I got a low heartbeat because I'm just chilling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, I'm literally just chilling. It's fine. Yeah. And I'm fine with it because I'm not. I never had like any symptoms to it. So I'm, I'm cool. His heart rate is at like 30 beats per minute. Yeah, 30 to 40. Which is crazy low. <laughs> yeah, I've been to like two cardiologists. 
they don't have much to say about it either. Yeah. He's fine. I always tell people when I'm like, yeah, my dad's on dialysis. They're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm like, me too. But like, he's fine. Like his spirit is fine. He's just on dialysis. (laughs) I I put myself there. You know, I can't feel bad about the fact that I'm there when I put myself there. And you're old. So it's like, it's not like you're like 40 and having this like. No, true. I mean, it's a tragedy, but it's not like a super tragedy, you know? (laughs) What? Yeah. Not to discount your experience. For me, it's not. There are people that they roll in there that it is a tragedy. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are people in there that they've lost their leg or they've lost their foot. And that's pretty tragic. Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) So. So I, I I feel blessed that I am in the position I am, that I'm having it now where I'm in good health. Yeah, so. I agree. I'm thankful. You need a burp? <laughs> oh, it's did. I'm good. Can you scoot just a teeny bit further in your chair? In or closer? like pull your chair? Yeah, closer. I think you sound good, but just to yeah. I'll just knock all the equipment off. The table. <laughs> That's okay. Are you comfortable there? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, cool. Okay, so I guess we can talk about today's topic, which is the summer of love. Yeah, baby. And for those that don't know, that is the summer of 1967. And this isn't really going to be like a super research-heavy topic at all. It's more just I wanted to talk about this. My next couple of episodes are going to branch off of this. So next week is going to be like the acid tests and like that kind of Ah, fun era of the summer of love so that'll be a little bit more like research based and then the following week i'm doing an episode with aaron and we are going to talk about the ultimate free concert okay cool. so that's going to be cool so i figured today we could talk about just the summer of love in general maybe we can talk about i don't know if you know much about like the monterey pop festival um or anything like that do you know anything about that a little bit. I mean, that's pretty much where Hendrix had his coming out. Yeah, and yeah. Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. In the movie, Mama Cass is watching Janis Joplin, and she's just like, oh, my God, do you see that? She's so good. It's so I incredible. I was actually, I've been listening yeah. to her a lot recently because this is going to sound crazy to some people, but I think she's one of my um, spirit guides or guardian angels. or I, ha- I think she's a guide for me. And you're looking at me funny, but the reason that I'm telling you this is because as a child, my dad in his closet had a poster of a naked Janis Joplin. (laughs) Yes, I did. Just like if you were like standing looking into his closet, he never shut the closet door. So it was just her there. And it was like a cool poster. But as a kid, I would just I would like go to sleep with my dad in his bed and I'd roll over and there'd just be naked Janis Joplin. (laughs) (laughs) And... That um, might also be why I'm not straight, but <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I've, I've recently been trying to, I know I have guides. I know I have spirit, spirit guides, guardian angels. Um, I've been told that I have four of them. I know my mom is one of my guardian angels. And recently I've been trying to like place them, like interact with them more intentionally, know them, know their names. And I was like doing a meditation and I was like, what is your name? And then immediately it was just Janice. Wow. And immediately I was like Janice Joplin. And I've been listening to Janice Joplin a lot recently. And I'm like, I don't know. I think it's her. Like, I think maybe not like just her, but like 
her essence, her spirit, like, I think resonates with me a lot. And I was listening to her and I was like, I feel like I very, I connect with her music a lot. So I'm just, I'm rolling with it. I'm not going to question it. I sound crazy, but I think Janis Joplin's one of my spirit guides. Well, I mean, that's possible. I mean, she, she was a pretty spiritual, spiritual singer. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what she lived on. You know, she kind of brought the old music from back in the 30s and the 40s, and Mama, Big Mama Smith, and stuff like that, you know, Mama Rainey. She was so young, but had that voice like she was like 60 years old. You know what I mean? Like her voice was so, like, I mean, she died at 27. I was gonna say she was. She's in the 27 Club. So, like, she wasn't very old, but she had one of those voices that sounded like she was like singing for years. Yeah. Very soulful. Very soulful. And like, like almost like raspy, like like she'd screamed her whole life. <laughs> is what it sounds like. A lot, of, a lot of deep pain, you know, because she didn't have a great upbringing. Right. She was picked on a lot about the way she looked and stuff in school. She is funny looking, but like yeah. in the best way. Yeah. But she really enjoyed going back to her high school reunion because she was very successful. Yeah. And there's actually film of that. And she was... Really looking forward to going back, just to kind of rub it in the nose, in the face of some of the people, you know? Wow. I love that. We love a petty queen. (laughs) 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 Yeah, literally, like, even just this conversation, I'm like, my heart is feeling, like, so full. Yeah, she's cool. I need to explore her more, because I feel like you and mom had so many specific musical tastes, and they never, like, you never imposed them on me. So I, like... Grew up with these, like, big musical idols that I knew of and was aware of, but never really listened to. Like, I could not tell you one Bob Dylan song. Like, I could <laughs> Not like, one? No. Like, I, like, know his voice if I hear him, but I don't yeah. know a name of any of the songs. Yeah, and, like, crazy. I know. Elton John, I know a little bit more. I knew some, like, growing up, but, like, recently I've been listening to Elton John because I've just wanted to feel more, like, connected with that. Yeah. Because I'm like, I have to. Like, that's just, like, my legacy. Um. And so I could tell you, like, some Elton John songs, but no, no Bob Dylan. I don't think I could tell you a Jimi Hendrix song. (laughs) That's kind of crazy. I know. know, It's like you would be, like, playing all this music all the time, but I just, you would always just pop a CD in. It's, like, a different. It was just your soundtrack, but you weren't getting, I wasn't annotating it. And that was Jimi Hendrix. Exactly. Like, I, well, I also, I grew up in such a, strange time period i think i'm like kind of the last cusp of people that grew up with a more analog world even though i we had technology i like we had phones that were like landlines we had the phone connected to the house we had the big computers with like floppy disks like we had i was there to experience some of that i remember like dial up and things like that i had cd players i had the little portable like walkman thing and i'm also in the era of here's social media, here's streaming music, here's like, I remember when iPods came out. So it's like, I'm in that kind of weird in between. You were the the baby of all those things. Like exactly. You were the babies when iPods came out. Your, your brother was like, hey, iPods are for me. I remember yeah. like him begging Nana to get him one. Yeah. Like I have a vivid memory of us being in Best Buy and him being like, please, like, please get it for me. And then she did because she was Nana. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Because Dad would have said, you don't need no iPod. But if I had asked you, you would have said yes. Yeah. <laughs> they had Nana and I had you. <laughs> this is true. You want the pink one? Sure. 
I remember one year I begged you for an iPod Touch, and you were like, you're not getting one. And then it was my ninth birthday, and I had this, this you got this cool little box, and it was pink with, like, a lid and had polka dots on it. And I was like, what is that? And I, I opened it up, that. and it was an iPod Touch. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never had any issues with that kind of stuff. But, yeah. yeah, so I think the issue there was, like, you were always playing CDs, and then when it became time for me to, like, get iPods and stuff like that, that was when it was, like, Lady Gaga, Kesha, like... That yeah. era of, like, pop music, and that was the kind of stuff. Like, Katy Perry, I was downloading to, like, my stuff. I wasn't downloading, like, Jimi Hendrix, Selton John. Yeah, you know? that, that makes sense. Because that's what was coming on. You were hearing places you went, your friends talked about. The the items you wanted to buy, they thought they were selling. Yeah. You know? No, I remember you never let me listen to the radio until I was nine years old. That's because I weren't listening to it. Yeah, because you were playing music in the car. Yeah. And I remember the first song I heard on the radio was uh, Jordan Sparks, How I'm supposed to breathe with no air. Can't live, can't breathe with no air. And I was like, what is this? And then the Kesha song, TikTok, it was yeah. like, wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. You were like, absolutely not. And you changed it. And you were like, this is so bad. <laughs> you were You tried to shelter me. You really did. It could be. No, you did. You tried to keep things away from me. You tried. You wouldn't let me watch certain TV shows. Like Max yeah. and Ben would watch whatever. But I remember you would not let me watch stuff. And then finally, when I was like fourteen, you were like, "All right, I can't, <laughs> I can't hide it anymore. Like, <laughs> just be you." Come on, world, attack her now. <laughs> yeah. All right, back to the topic. Okay. Nineteen sixty-seven. I was nine years old. You were nine years old. <laughs> Do you know if it's Height Ashbury or Hate Ashbury? Hate Ashbury. Okay. Because I, when me and Aaron talked briefly about it, I was like, I think it's Height Ashbury. <laughs> uh, I've always heard it as Hate, but it could be Height. Well, it's spelled Height with an A, yeah. so it's probably Hate. Yeah. Which yeah. is funny that it's like phonetically Hate. Or not phonetically. It'd be like Hate. Yeah. But like the way you say it is Hate when it was like a, the summer of love. Yeah. San Francisco. Isn't it crazy that how San Francisco has evolved? Like how it was this once beautiful, booming, blooming city for like love. And now it's what it is. Awful, expensive, homeless people everywhere. People with quality jobs like sleeping in their cars because they can't afford rent. Yeah, it's insane. Every time I talk about California, I love California. People hate California. People fucking hate California. And they're always like, oh, San Francisco. Everybody hates San Francisco. Well, I think a lot of people who live in the Bay Area feel that way, too, because the city's become so overpriced, they can't live in the city. They have to go out to the suburb. Yeah. Which some of them like anyway, but, you know, some the city used to be cool. Now it's all glass and dollars, you know, everything's big, yeah. big, big buildings. I want to go see it. I think it'd be cool still for like a vacay, but like, I feel like I'm just going to be sad. I think Callie lives there and she actually wrote, I haven't read it. I read like a part of it. She wrote something like a, I guess like an essay. This is my cousin-in-law uh, that yeah, we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I remember reading a little bit of that too. And she wrote about like the duality of it, like how yeah. it's so beautiful and also so tragic. And I was like, wow, I hadn't really, I mean, I'd heard things about it. I haven't been, so... Well, I would imagine it would affect even if you were a visitor because it's so expensive now that to do a lot of the things that you probably traditionally would have done may may cost you out, yeah. I feel like I really just want to drive through it. Like, I want to go yeah. see the full house house. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, that's one that wouldn't be on my list, but. That was like an integral show for my childhood. I'm sure it was. It definitely was. (laughs) Who else? So, yeah, 1967, the summer of love. It really wasn't that many people. It was like 300,000 people or something like that is what I was reading that went out there but made a huge impact. Yeah, I don't believe it was really like there was a particular one big event where 300,000 people came. It was more just like the whole city for the whole summer. People just swarming in and out and concerts over in San Francisco near the bridge, Golden Gate Bridge and stuff like that. Uh, People with flowers in their hair. San Francisco, put flowers in your hair. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that like the San Francisco city board was like, don't let your kids come to San Francisco right now because there's a hippie infestation. And then everyone was like, a what? And then they went (laughs) like they unintentionally brought people there. I mean, there were people just laying around the the city downtown against the buildings and stuff. People, they kind of just took over downtown. And when the police would move in, they would put flowers in their guns and stuff like that flower power that wouldn't happen now (laughs) no you'd probably get shot if you tried that now. yeah that's crazy yeah this says a hundred thousand people flocked there so not even three hundred thousand that's crazy when you think about like woodstock and places like that there were three hundred thousand people at one site yeah that I personally don't want to be at something that big. I don't either. Yeah, you can't you can't really enjoy the music. It's definitely going to rain. It's <laughs> just day. going to. Every time there's some kind of event <laughs> like that, it rains. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns into mud, the mud portion of Woodstock. I think when I went to Lost Lands the first year, well, I went in 2019. It wasn't the first year of Lost Lands, but... There was like 30,000 people or 40,000. I think that was the estimate that I heard like floating around. And I'm so bad at like looking at a group of people and being like, yeah, there's probably about this many people there. Yeah. And like that was a lot of people. It wasn't like too many, I would say, but I can't imagine like 10 times that amount. I can't either. I mean, I can imagine. I can remember going to concerts at the, uh, the football stadium down off Independence Boulevard, which including the field. Held like fifteen, twenty thousand people. It just seemed like so many people, but fifteen thousand people is not really that many. Is the Bank of America Stadium that's seventy five thousand? Yeah, right? yeah. Now I've never been there since when it was that full. I went to some Panthers games, but they weren't full. So I've never been there. I've been there once when I had that law internship in high school. I went uh, there and like yeah. we toured we toured the building, like the facility. We didn't right. there wasn't something going on. We were like they took us to this room and they were like, This is where the lawyers sit. Uh, <laughs> we're not getting cool. our taxpayers' money. We need to go. <laughs> I yeah, we should go. That's where they had the red hot chili peppers and the strokes a couple like Yeah, last I heard week. I heard the chili peppers didn't sell that much and it kind of looked weird. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a huge place. Oh, that's, yeah. And you got 75,000 people. That's a... Well, when Mandy and I saw them a few years ago, probably like 2017, 2018, the tickets were almost like $400 for her and I. And you saw them where? At Spectrum. Yeah, and that's probably what, 10,000, 12,000 people? I don't know, but like, I mean... 
I can't picture 75,000 people in Charlotte wanting to spend around that much money. But actually, Aaron went to the one at the Bank of America Stadium. He said that they bought like nosebleed tickets the day of or the day before, and it was like yeah. 25 bucks. So maybe they weren't as expensive, probably because it's outside. Well, yeah, and nosebleed because I've been to a football game and I sat four feet, four rows from the top. And it, it's just funny watching people do stuff when you're that far away. Yeah. Yeah. But me and Mandy, we had like really high up seats in the Spectrum Center and mm. we still paid a lot. Cool. Not cool. Not cool. <laughs> we paid a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so do you remember, like, watching anything on TV about the Summer of Love? Yeah, that was on TV, uh, usually on, like, the the night news at 7 o'clock or something, if there was a huge amount of people that showed up for a particular event on a particular, like, there was a big concert, and there was so many people for the whole weekend, and, you know, they'd talk about the flower power and the kids, and, of course, they were just competing from network to network. So you, it just depended on what night you were watching. Yeah. Dick Clark would talk about him on his American Bandstand show. Yeah. I yeah. don't know who that is. Oh, well. <laughs> Dick Clark, he was one of the beginners of uh, rock and roll. Yeah, he created American Bandstand. He was white, and so he started having shows in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was one of the hot spots for where you know music was starting, like Memphis and Philadelphia. He had radio shows. So he started having like a little local TV show. And eventually he built it into a big TV show. It's a national TV show called American Bandstand. It came on every Saturday. He'd have con- he would have people from the bands that were part of the Summer of Love. They would come on on the weekend, you know, like the Grateful Dead or the Jefferson Airplane or someone of yeah. that might show up and do a song. Dead may not have been on there, but you know, I- I'm just saying pe- big names would show up on American Bandstand. Why did you say he was white? Because <laughs> he was white, because I said that because he got to have a big national TV show. I Rock see. and roll started basically from black, black music, people, yeah. yeah, and black radio shows, but they didn't all of a sudden show up on the big three right. channels. So know? he kind of brought visibility to that. Did he do anything for black people, or was it a lot of white bands and stuff? Well, he had black bands on too. Okay, so, so cool. I mean, he he was a bit of a, a a segue there. He used his white privilege to shine light on something that yes. black artists were doing. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was not. I wasn't trying yeah. to be like, why did you say that? I was just like, I knew you said yeah. it for a reason, so I was like, no, I wanted cool. to know why. Oh uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's, and that's exactly why I said it because you know, could have been a black guy doing it, but at that time, should have been a black guy doing. Should have been a black guy probably doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so. Jefferson Airplane, The Grateful Dead, um, Big Brother and The Holding Company. Mm-hmm. Who else am I missing? Are the Rolling Stones this era too? Well, they are, but they, you know, they're they're that era, but they're not really the Summer of Love. Summer of Love is really West Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is Ro- the Rolling Stones? Are they East Coast? Well, no, the Rolling Stones are from England. Oh. Yeah. They, <laughs> <laughs> they go back to the British invasion. They came over with the Beatles. They came okay. over in like 63, uh, like three or four years before the Summer of Love. They, they were well settled in as you know stars. They did put out a song called, uh, I believe it was called Flowers, you know, to kind of yeah. get in on the. Yeah, I didn't know because I knew when I was doing some research initially deciding to do this topic, I was seeing them in this stuff, so I just assumed that they were like 
Yeah. They were here in the States making music. Is what yeah. You're saying. yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Stones and the Beatles were all very popular during that period. I mean, like, they both, like, the, that's along the time the Beatles put out Sgt. Pepper's trippy album, uh, which went along with what kind of was like the Summer of Love stuff. But it wasn't directly related to that. I, I would almost say Summer of Love was a little bit of reaction to some of the trippy Beatles stuff. Right. Yeah, because I feel like I didn't see a lot of them in my initial research nah. either. Summer of Love was pretty much a West Coast United States thing. At the same time, in New York, you had bands like the Velvet Underground come along, which was much more of a, a seedy city, New York nightlife thing. They were kind of like, on the summer of love. Yeah. We're from the streets of New York. They were doing songs about heroin. Yeah. I'm waiting on my man, which was I'm waiting on my drugs. I see. You know. So. I mean, they were waiting on their drugs over in, on the West Coast as well. Yeah. But they weren't waiting out. They weren't waiting for heroin out on the corner. Yeah. They were smoking their weed and taking their sunshine, acid yeah. and stuff. Taking their sunshine. That's cute. Yeah. That's so funny. I see a lot of it. Um, obviously, there was very heavy drug use, but mm. they're all like in all the articles, all the people that are like around to talk about it. They're like, it's not about the drugs. And I'm like, I think a lot of people for a lot of people, it probably was. But I think for a lot of people, it was more like the love and the expansion of the consciousness, the age of the Aquarians, that kind of vibe. Yeah, the uh, uh, expansion of consciousness and stuff was a lot of the drugs in the Summer of Love were the, you know, like mescaline and LSD expansion drugs instead of the more drugs that made you into, you know, isolation and stuff like downers and stuff. Yeah, I think that's where like the acid tests and stuff come into play Mm -hmm. because I know there was one person, I don't remember what his name is, it's probably in here. But he was a part of the CIA study of LSD. Because this was when, like, LSD came out, right? Like, do you know when it... LSD came out in the early 60s. Uh, I think a guy named Owsley, can't remember his name, whole name. He, he created it. And then he started turning people onto it. And I think it was a West Coast thing originally. I'm not sure about that. We'd have to look into that. But. Yeah. I think so. It definitely got very popular out west. Yeah. When was the first time you took LSD? Middle school, eighth grade. Damn. Uh, Fourteen. <laughs> wow. That was, was that the first time you ever tripped on anything? Yeah. I was 14 when I had my first trip. Yeah, yeah. I had done a little bit of speed because my, my dad was a pharmacist, so he had... Black Beauties? had Black Beauties. I found his bottle of Black Beauties that were samples, but they said amphetamine. Can you believe that they just used to have samples of shit like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because I found them. <laughs> <laughs> Sold some of them, did some of them. Yeah. They don't exist anymore, right? Well, they don't exist... Oh, they probably do. I'm sure someone's making them. Yeah, they well, they probably exist. They're just controlled. I don't think so. It's the same as like quaaludes, right? It's like impossible to get your hands on them unless you're getting them from someone who's just making them. Well, I don't know. I mean, they're still probably a, a drug that's used, but they're they they now have the seat the controlled drugs, mm-hmm. which makes it a lot harder to get them. Back then, they didn't have the different codes on the drugs 
And so they were just all in the pharmacies. And people would break into pharmacies and steal stuff. My dad's drugstore was broken into. I was about to say. And, and they, did, they weren't looking for money. They stole drugs. That's crazy. What was the pharmacy called? Plaza Hills Pharmacy. Plaza Hills Pharmacy. I love that. I drove by where it was the other day. Yeah, it's been renovated like crazy. That whole area has been renovated. Yeah. What did your dad and mom think about the summer of love? Did you have any rememberies? Do you have any (laughs) (laughs) recollection of them commenting on it? Yeah, we had some rememberies of it. (laughs) It's like, Uh, I imagine what like a little kid would say, like, I I have a remembery. Yeah, that's about what a three-year-old would say. Uh, (laughs) I'm a grown woman, I promise. (laughs) Uh, Well... It was so different for them that it it was shocking. Just, you know, the Beatles and all of that was so completely different from anything they grew up with. And was so, people were just wanting so many freedoms away from things from the way they did it that, that you know, they weren't really in favor of it. My mother was real about, she wasn't real aggressively no she tried to accommodate things yeah she they were the silent generation right that was their uh, they were like right after the depression or were they during they were born during the depression my parents were born during the depression yeah my dad was born in 32 and my mom was born in 36 so that i think that's That's the silent generation that's right smack in the middle of the depression the depression was in the 30s yeah uh I don't know whether I don't know. I'm not sure about when the silent generation is. I, know. I could be wrong, but I think that's when it is because they say it's like they grew up in the depression, so they were taught to like not need anything, not ask for anything, just probably go to work and be silent, yeah. do your, what you need to do. Just be glad of what you got. Yeah, like don't complain. Yeah, and then there comes the boomers, which. <laughs> well, I can say I can remember. I can remember my mother's father telling me that during the depression. He dug ditches all day long for a nickel. Think about that. Eight hours digging a ditches. I want to know the conversion of that, though, like how much a nickel would be worth. Obviously, it was worth more. The buying power was different. But still, that's crazy. It wasn't worth a lot because basically it was enough to maybe by the end of the week get a little bit of food. Yeah, like a loaf of bread. Yeah, you know, I know my mother's family was worse off than my father's family because my father's father had a little store he ran, mm-hmm. Andy Farm, where my mother's family, uh, I'm trying to think what the term is, where they, they farm for other people and they go from farm to farm. Sharecroppers. Yeah. They, they were sharecroppers, yeah. Okay. I feel like your mom and dad were like a power couple. Where he was very masculine and she was very feminine. Yeah, that's true. And I feel like I could see her being more... I feel like she was ahead of her time. I feel like yeah. she had some resistance in her where she was like... She knew that she shouldn't be like... Or not that she shouldn't, but like there was a part of her that should be a little bit more like... Concerned with things. But I think deep down she was more chill about things. Than My maybe. mother was a gladiator for goodness. I love that. Maybe she liked it a little, the summer of love a little more than she let on. Yeah, probably. She was way more open to stuff like that than my dad. She didn't want us not to be exposed to things. She wanted us to see things. 
but she really she always tried to look for the something good about something first. And then if she didn't find it, she would tell you. Yeah. But but she 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 let us, you know, experiment into things where my dad would have never let us do it. Yeah. I would have never had long hair if she'd have passed away. Like in your situation. If I'd have been raised by my dad, I would have been a completely different person. Right. Than I am from being raised with both of them. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like in my situation, mom would have been the more structured one. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've done her chart. I think she had two Capricorn placement in her big three, two Capricorn placements. So no, she had two degrees. Yeah, um, she <laughs> she would she would have been a little bit more put together. I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> we won't argue about that one at all. <laughs> So did you have any, do you know anyone who like ran off to be in the summer of love? Like from, I know you like were young, you were nine, but like, I feel like back in your heyday, it was much more common for children to be out on the street in the neighborhood mingling with different age groups and stuff. Well, I know there was, there was about, there was a whole generation of kids in my neighborhood that were above me. I was at the bottom. When of, you say above me, do you mean like by age? By age, they okay. Were, they were they were older than me. When I say above me, I'm thinking of like in school. Mm-hmm. They were a couple grades older than me. Uh, like when I was nine, summer of love. They were like middle school, mm-hmm. and so then. When I didn't reach middle school, they were high school. So I was I was always picking up on stuff that, that was going on with them. Growing up a little quick. We, yeah, I was the youngest of them. And then they moved on. They got cars and started driving around and stuff. So then I got left behind because I didn't have... But then I was the oldest one of the other kids in the neighborhood. Yeah. So they looked up to me like, hey, do you know stuff about Summer of Love? So I would tell them, about, oh, yeah, they used to ride around here. Yeah, they were always doing the, the, the uh, Jefferson Airplane and the Grateful Dead and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they'd be playing that when they were driving their cars around. And that stuff was cool. We should check that out. You know, so I, in a way, I was, I was really the only one. There was another kid in the neighborhood who was, but he moved away. So then I was the one in the neighborhood that kind of told all the other kids about it. You were, like, absorbing the information and passing it along. That's interesting that these were the – that was, like, the music you were listening to because you still listen to it today. Or, like, Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, you would still play that kind of music. And I know they say, like, music that you listen to as, like, a preteen or tween, early teen, whatever, that's the kind of music that – You'll probably listen to forever. It like shapes your music taste for the rest of your life because it's such a developmental time of your life. So it's really cool that like you were in that easily moldable age to like kind of absorb all of that. Yeah, and that's definitely true because I still now like I sit around and you know I got my phone now and and I and I and I'll go well. Here I am, stuck in the seventies, still playing from <laughs> the seventies. Yeah, I mean the sixties, summer of love stuff. Yeah, I still listen to the Beatles and 
some of that and the stones. You listened to the Beatles a lot when I was a kid. Yeah, well, and I still do. Uh, but I then really I listened to a lot of stuff from the seventies, which was the next phase, which was when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. When I was like fourteen and sixteen, like what? Oh, just all the stuff. I mean. Aerosmith bands like that, you yeah. Know, the Stones when they were rocking it, the Stones in the seventies because the Beatles had had quit in nineteen seventy. Yeah, they broke up March nineteen seventy. So then the Stones really took over. The Who, I listened to a lot of the Who from the seventies. Um, Dylan, right? I didn't get into Dylan right away. Uh, I was more into the Stones and. The rock and roll stuff. I didn't really get into Dylan until 1974 when he put out an album called Blood on the Tracks. And it it was about his marriage falling apart, of all things. That sucks. (laughs) But the whole album was pretty much dedicated to that. Every song had some connection to that. And But for some reason, it just, it was an incredible album. You know, it just really hit me. And then I went back and started listening to his other stuff. I had a friend across the street, Mark Plot, who uh, was more of a Dylan fan at that point and who had everything. And so I was able to get in there and listen to stuff. Was this also the time when you were dating your first wife? Not yet. Okay. I was just curious if that was like, maybe it resonated with you because it was kind of almost like a way, maybe your spirit knew like, that's where my first marriage is going to go. <laughs> when I had that first marriage, I did listen to that album. <laughs> uh, no, because the album came out in 74, and I, me and her started dating in 75. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, really, that time frame, I was listening to that album a lot. and That was one of those marriages where just kind of rolled right into it and should have just kept right on rolling. So, yeah. <laughs> rolling away. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, there was a lot of Dylan going on there. Yeah. So the hippie house that you told me about so yeah. many times, would you say, do you know when it opened and would you say that it was inspired by the summer of love? Oh yeah. It was probably, they may have been in there already in Late sixty seven, sixty eight. Oh, cool! I went. I was went to Elizabeth Elementary in fifth and sixth grade, which that's eleven and twelve year olds, right? Yeah, roughly. That sounds right. Yeah, so I was would have put me at twelve in nineteen seventy, and the hippie house stuff was more fifth grade, so I would have been eleven. So I'd been nineteen sixty nine. So you were going there when you were eleven. Yeah, that was as early as you went. Yeah, it was only a fifth and sixth grade thing. They they took at that point it was the SAT program, TD, right. TD and they brought all the talent kids. development. Yeah, they still did that when I was a kid. Yeah, but they brought all the kids from the city. Beth, the the TD students and put them in this one class. Mm-hmm. So there was a class of fifth graders and a class of sixth graders. And so I was the last fifth and sixth grade class to go do that because after my sixth grade class, then 
the next year they started putting them all in all the schools because there was enough students that weren't getting. There's a lot of talent to be There was developed. a lot of talent, and they were just putting it all in one area, which I felt, you know, hey, that's kind of cool that I got to go. It's cool, but then it gets to a point where it's like you're, you're creating like a almost like an elitist group well, of children, and, and and it affected me in a negative way because I went to school over there with all these other kids in fifth and sixth grade, and fifth and sixth grade is right before you go into middle school, which is a big development time. So yeah. we're, we're away. Over there at this one school, and we're all great. In this yeah. weird little echo chamber. And, but then the next year, okay, now go back to your schools. Well, everybody there has already got their little friend groups and right. cliques and stuff. So you got to come in and try to break into that. And, and, and you lost some of that that you had in the fourth grade because you went fifth and sixth grade. Yeah, that's a long time when you're a child because time feels like forever. That was 20% of the time that you'd been, I mean, 33% because they didn't. Uh, you didn't have kindergarten at that point. You just had first through sixth was elementary mm-hmm. school. So 33% of my elementary school, I went to a different school and then came back to the same kids or some of them because middle school, you know, you get bunched up yeah, a little bit Yeah, anyway. switch around a little bit. But you know, it, it messed with me because all of a sudden I, I, I didn't have a group when I came back to middle school. Mm-hmm. It was almost like moving to a different city. Yeah. That's yeah. how my experience was because yeah. all my schools didn't feed into each other. So I was like yeah. from elementary to middle to high school and then to the middle college program. It was always like, all right, like here we go again, starting well, fresh. And it's like Ben. He he went to a different school, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh Ugh. grade. Yeah, he went to uh, the one elementary and then he went to fifth grade at Villa Heights. The next year they moved him to Lincoln Heights and then he came back to middle school so he had four different schools in four different years hmm. that sucks so okay you were 11 years old at this hippie house do you want to tell the people what that the hippie house the is? hippie house is on central avenue the house still sits there it's at the corner of central and hawthorne i think it's a gray and white house now yeah like where hawthorne pizza is no no that, that's seventh and that's seventh in, in hawthorne. hawthorne yeah I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's Hawthorne Central. And across the street's a big church. Mm-hmm. And you'd ride through there, and the hippies would all be, you know, sitting up on top of the house, playing their guitars and smoking the weed and, you know, just having a good old time. <laughs> Didn't you say your mom took you there one time? No, that was a different house. There was another street house down Central Avenue, which I think it's still sitting there. But this, it was called Chronosynclastic Infundibulum. <laughs> it was a head shop. Yeah. And, and, you know, they sold clothes and they sold all the stuff you can get at a head shop. And my mother would needed to go do something down Central Avenue and she would drop us off there and she'd tell us she'd be back in 30 minutes, 45 minutes or whatever. And we'd go into Chronosynclastic Infundibulum and... We'd go in there and we'd roll around on their waterbed. They're probably like, why are these 10-year-olds in here right now? (laughs) Well, we were middle school, so we were probably 13, 14. Which Uh, is almost worse. (laughs) Yeah, because because we had already discovered grass, and so she didn't know. But when she'd drop us off, the first thing we'd do, we'd go behind the building, smoke a little bit of weed, 
and then go into building. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we get entertained by the people that were coming in and working there. And we were, we were all little hippies in the hippie store, hippie house. It was cool. <laughs> so the hippie house, you went there for the first time when you were 11 years old. Who took you there, Bark? We, well, yeah, it was just called the bus. <laughs> we rode the bus down there. What do you mean it was just called the bus? It wasn't called the BART system or anything like that. It was just the... Oh, it was just like you got on the bus. Yeah, the bus, the bus actually rode through the neighborhood at that point. We called That's the cool. bus right in front of my house. Wow. Well, <laughs> also, I feel like that, like where you guys grew up was like a... It was straight downtown. The bus, yeah. would, it would come down Kilbourne. Stop right there at the corner of Kilmore and Dunlavin. And we go jump on the bus. You go down Dunlavin, up Country Club, out the plaza, uptown we'd go. Get off at the square, go to Belks, go to Ivy's, go to whatever stores were uptown. Belks. Catch the bus back, stop in that little area on Central Avenue, go to the hippie store. So they were just like grown adults and they were like, yeah, it's cool that you 11-year-olds are hanging out here. Well, I mean, they they were grown adults, but they were, you know, they were like, uh, you know, dad had adults. They had the tied hair and stuff. So they weren't normal adults per se at that Mm -hmm. time because we're talking 71. Did they give you guys drugs? They didn't. They didn't give us drugs. Did you buy drugs from them? <laughs> One of us did. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. So can you give us like a, like walk us through the hippie house? Well, it was just an old house. I mean, it had upstairs and downstairs. Had... Like what was going on in there? Like what are well, the Well, in each like? room, like one room had um, a waterbed and music going on. and Was there free love happening? There may have been upstairs. We didn't get to go upstairs. Aw. <laughs> they were like, kids, you have to stay down here. Who was chaperoning y'all? I didn't even know. Well, I mean, the people that work there. It oh, was, so it was like a, a business? It was a business. What know? were they selling? It was like a, it was like an Infinity's Inn type store. So this is not the, the head shop. No, they sold stuff. But they sold yeah. head shop type stuff yeah, as well. just okay. in the very front room. Okay, but like people lived there and people they were like shacking there. it up. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Because the whole time I'm just thinking it's like just this like essentially like a hippie trap house. No, nah, you could <laughs> you couldn't walk all over their house. It was their house. Yeah. You okay. Could, yeah, you could hang out out on the porch. And this is where the light language was happening. Yeah. Well, I actually ran into that in a different places. You know, that was a little later when I was more like 16, 17 years old. I'd go with people and we'd go. Started out as going to religious places. Where there was you know, a couple of people that were really uh, Christian fanatic type things. And you would go and people would, they would be praying so hard that they would start to speak in tongues. Yeah. And then you would go somewhere like that. And then someone would invite you to go to somewhere else. And you would listen to someone talk about some philosophy. and. Uh, then people, you know, start again praying about things and speaking in tongues. Basically, you know, that's what yeah. we called it. You know, uh, it was pretty interesting. I mean, I've seen people get. Uh, I've seen people where I thought they were about to fly. <laughs> they were, you know, so well, into yeah. it. They I, were. It happens. Yeah, I mean, they, they literally were lifting off 
ground. You're, you're, you're looking. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Levitation. That's like the event that I went to. Um, I went to, for people who are listening, the Big Love Yoga Barn on Central Avenue behind Pure Pizza is insanely welcoming and holy and awesome if you're looking for a place to do yoga and meet other spiritual people. But I went to a full moon ritual on Saturday and they were doing light language and it was like really incredible and beautiful. And she was talking about how her name is Olivia. If you, you can, you can find her through the big love yoga bar and Instagram, but she was talking about how like in some spaces people just start like levitating when they're going through that. It's like a trance state and it can be scary. Like if you're not used to hearing something like that, cause like, like you said, it sounds like speaking in tongues and I don't know enough about what speaking in tongues, I'm putting quotes around that. Like, I don't know enough about that to speak on it. Like, I don't know if that's the same thing as like accessing light language or like well, what. It, it's people speaking from a spiritual background that are so emotionally in the moment mm-hmm. that they are feeling the, the spiritual entity. went straight one ring went away but yeah they're feeling the spiritual entity and they literally are so in the emotion that they are being lifted and they're really not there with you no they're in a different space they're they're somewhere else another dimension and this is just nothing new no i mean they talk about this in the bible i'm sure john the baptist when he spoke he thought john the baptist (laughs) john the baptist was the forebearer of jesus okay he he spoke about Jesus' coming, and he was there when Jesus did come. I he baptized Jesus. Okay, I literally like I know I went to church with you and Mom and Nana when I was a kid, but I you went very little with me. I have no knowledge about Christianity. Like I don't know anything. I know like Adam and Eve. Yeah, and that's it. Like I literally don't know like anything about it so people will be like you know this i'm like no <laughs> well i think it's worthwhile to educate yourself on that a little bit i mean i think i want to learn more about a lot of religions yeah because they're so accepted you know um, i think i just something about it turns me off like something about it like i think there's a lot of bastardization for some reason that was hard to say of christianity that like it's hard to find like a i don't know if it's hard to find but for me like not being super interested in it i'm not like searching for a safe place to go learn about it you know what i mean just because it's like i don't know does it it's not i don't well, resonate with it but i would like to know more about it just so i can understand because i do know that there's things to learn from it well but. i i can completely understand what you're saying because i have lived a life where when i was a child you just went to church and you heard about... Do you want to turn your volume off? <laughs> yeah. Do you know how to do that? No. This little button right here? Yeah, okay. I'll set it right here. Can you turn it off so it won't ring? Can you do that? <laughs> oh. Okay, when you grew up... When I grew up, there wasn't... The world wasn't controlled by TV. And people had TV. But they didn't just sit in front of the TV all the time. We went outside and played. You came inside and you watched the TV and listened to the TV. But as I grew up, TV became more and more. It just became part of our life and just yeah, fully taking over. 
and at the same time, religion saw that as a way to jump in there. And I can I can imagine if you're growing up now, and the way you're introduced to religion and stuff is through televangelists. Yeah. Uh, and you even if you don't watch it, you hear about it. Uh, you know who Jim Baker is, and right, and the PTL here in Charlotte. No. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, you need a little. What more. is it? Uh, Jim Baker was a guy. Him and his wife Tammy Faye, who started a religion here in Charlotte. It was called Praise the Lord, but PTL came to be known as Pass the Loot because all he was doing was making money off all these poor people. I think I've heard of this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he had wanted to run for president, he would have been our first Trump. It it's almost like it becomes culty in it a way. It was very culty, yeah. It yeah, I think that like I totally respect everyone's choice to follow like a standardized religion. I don't really have one that resonates with me, so I just say that I'm spiritual, which I think a lot of people my age and not just my age, but my this era, I think a lot of people feel that way. They're like, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Yeah. Um, I just feel like I haven't found a safe space to like I feel like Christianity isn't a lot of it it doesn't not just I'm not saying this as like a generalized thing but like in the media and particularly in today's environment with the way that our government and religion are so intertwined it's it's hard to find a safe space in Christianity yeah I can see that. it feels very like pushy and whatever but I think that like it's very beautiful that people can find what they need to find in it but it's just I don't know maybe I should Learn some more about it. <laughs> well, it's probably something that you'll have to find on your own. Because... I wish I had taken classes in college about it because then I would have just learned the basics. Or like religion in general, not just Christianity. Yeah, but they have yeah, like yeah. like theology classes and stuff like that. That'd be interesting. I've never taken a theology class. Yeah. I was raised going to a Baptist church. I wouldn't say I was raised, you know, like Christian, Christian, Christian. We were expected to uh, believe in Jesus. And I guess if you showed any interest in anything else, you know, my mother's eyes would go up. My dad was going to work. A little satanic panic. (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, uh, the Rolling Stones and their... You know, they they have a few things that are a little satanic. Yeah. They have a song called My... Uh, what's that song? I can't remember the name of it. Something about... Sympathy for the Devil. My mother was not a fan of that song. But, like, I think... I haven't... I don't even know what it sounds like, but just those words, Sympathy for the Devil, feels mm. like something that, like, a it's religious a, person should probably have, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Compassion for all, like, treat people how you want to be treated. Like, but a lot of a lot of religious people are condemning of all things that aren't exactly the way they see them, the way they should be. Yeah. You know, so, but yeah, where were we going with that? I don't know. We like went we we went on a tangent. Yeah. I guess I recently learned about the Source family. Are you familiar with the Source family? No, no. it's a cult. Okay. Um, I can't remember what year it was. Let me check. I think it was like right... I think it was 69. Okay. I remember the Loud family. What's the Loud family? Loud family was a family for TV. Uh, 
there was a TV show on PBS about the Louds. And one of the Louds, the oldest son, I believe it was, turned out to be gay. So he was the first gay person in a TV show that was recognized as like a part of the TV show as a gay person. That's cool. Lance Loud, I think. Like, so it's like a, like one of the first like openly gay people. Yeah, on TV. No, the Source family was an actual cult, though they wouldn't really say that they're a cult. But it looks like it was like the seventies. It's like in the Hollywood region, uh-huh. and it was like it started off as like a restaurant, like a, a wholeness food restaurant, and then it evolved into like we want to start our own religion and then became this whole thing. And it was like simultaneously going on with the Manson family. Oh, okay. So like one of the girls who was like married to they the guy. They just didn't kill anybody. Um, no, I think people died. <laughs> the source family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some people died for sure. Oh, Actually, the guy who started it, I'm pretty sure he killed like three people before he even started it. Wow. Like all of it was always supposedly like self-defense and shit. Yeah. He ends up, killing himself and like i don't know it was crazy but happening simultaneously as the manson family and the girl who married him i think married him or one of the girls that was in the source family i'm pretty sure it was one of his wives because it started off as just a wife but then you know how they go and they're like oh suddenly i want to have a plural marriage right and so (laughs) she was best friends with sharon tate oh and she met the guy who started the source family and she was like, I don't know what it is. I feel like I'm supposed to be with you. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to, like, we were supposed to meet right now. The next day she finds out Sharon Tate was murdered. And so she immediately was like, oh my God, we were destined to meet because I was supposed to hang out with Sharon last night and I would have died if I didn't. And it, it's like, it's interesting. I feel like. So they're connected to the Manson family. In a weird way. Yeah. They're not like the same thing. Right, but like, but there's like a little. Sharon Tate. Yeah. Sharon Tate. Because Sharon Tate was killed by some of the Manson family. Mm-hmm. Which is super interesting. That the whole the Manson family. I want to do an episode on it because, like, well, I'm sure they knew each other, the Manson family and yeah. the Source family. Yeah, that would be inter- that'd be interesting to see if you can find where the ties are there. Yeah, because I know? just listened to the morbid episode about the Source family, so I yeah. definitely want to like. That's cool. They talk about it in there. Yeah, it's super. It was a good episode. I would recommend it. It's one of the most recent ones. If you guys like want to listen to it, but. I know the Manson family, they were all about their, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, the Ib- Ibogaine, Ibogene, uh-huh. that plant, that's like the psychedelic plant. Oh, I'm not sure what that is. is they it? were, it was like, it basically was like natural LSD. Oh, it's okay. just a plant that grows that like, people use it in like spiritual ceremonies yeah, okay. and stuff, yeah. but they were just, they were basically constantly tripping all the time. Like they would eat it like every day, so they never came down. And that's why a lot of their, they were murdering people because like, they would be in this constant state of psychosis and he would be like, go kill people. And they'd be like, okay. <laughs> so well, I, That's just nuts, though, if you really stop and think about it. If someone tells you, go kill these people, and, and they go do it. Yeah. That's just... I also want to just do an episode on the psychology of cult leaders because yeah, that'd be cool. I'm really curious to know how many of them are just people that, like... I think they all know what they're doing, but I think that they have to... There has to be something with the way they're chemically wired that makes them do it. Yeah. Because like any like anybody can see it happening from the outside and it's easy for them to like trick people into joining them. But what I was getting at with bringing that up is that I think it's super interesting that like these were happening like 
like as a aftermath of the summer of love. Like they're because the, they started these families, the Manson family, the Source family, and they're like, oh, like we're spreading love, we're starting a new religion, a new way of life, and they're like they're like taking that kind of like ideology that like so many people are interested in. I think there's like a lot of like spiritual baiting that happens in cults and this kind of environment. Like people are like, people want to evolve. People want to expand their consciousness. People want to meet other like-minded people. People want to get in contact with their ancestors, their guides, their angels. And so people are drawn into that. And then there's like the cult leaders who are like taking advantage of it. So it's like the duality of it. Yeah, and and it's like in those kind of situations, people tend to, they kind of don't grow into what, like the summer of love, they grew past that, you know, to eventually, we wind up with Altamont, with the Hell's Angels as the security guards. Don't that, talk too much about it, because I'm doing oh, an episode but, on it. <laughs> but, you know, you, you come up to that. Yeah. And where, you know. They so, miss the mark. Yeah. They, well, they... They they lose sight of the mark. They go too far. They they just keep pushing it and pushing it without really a real goal to reach. Yeah. Or the goal is no longer what... Like, they're using the me- the message and the movement to achieve a goal that is not what the movement is about. Yeah. They're like, oh, we want to make money off this concert. Or, like, we want to do this, this, and this, where that's not the point. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Summer of Love builds up to Woodstock. Woodstock falls apart when you're at Aldermont. Then you come to the happy 70s. Yeah. And we all forget about all that bullshit, and we start doing everything in techno color, and everything's great because now we're the new hippies. Technicolor is like when TVs became color, right? Yeah, real bright. You know, uh, NBC developed their peacock with all the colors. yeah. Yeah, shiny, happy people. I remember learning about that. (laughs) To quote R.E.M. Yeah. Yeah, I remember learning about Technicolor in like my film class, my one film studies course I took. I'm a film buff. Yeah, yeah, and you really (laughs) think about it because R.E.M. comes up in the early 80s and they do that song, Shiny, Happy People. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there was anything that I missed. Let's scroll through this. Oh, so are you familiar with the second Summer of Love? When would that be? 1988-1989. So apparently that the second Summer of Love refers to both of those summers. I was there, but I don't really remember. I don't remember them being called that at that time. Yeah, yeah. they well, not at that. It wasn't like they, people yeah. were like, oh, it's the second Summer of Love. Yeah. It's like <laughs> looking back on it, historians yeah. call it that. Okay. But apparently it's like, when Acid House came out, so house music. Uh, um, okay. House music was already becoming a thing, in pl- I think, in Chicago. Okay. Black yeah, DJs. It started off there. Yeah. yeah, we're like making house music. Tracks, records, and stuff like that. T-R-A-X. Yeah, and, and then House or Acid House came, yep. which is like the... Which I actually love Acid House. Oh, I like that stuff now. You know, when it came out, I kind of liked it. I just didn't succinctly say, oh, I really like that. I just didn't put myself in that position. Part of it is because I was working. Yeah. I wasn't 
really an accountant at that at that time, time yeah. yeah it's a acquired taste too yeah. it's not for everybody like no. not everybody's gonna like acid house <laughs> it's very intense yes it's very intense yeah but it, I, I liked yeah. it i just didn't really go out and get involved and stuff and then in then because i was just working on it. yeah yeah i think they this refers to mainly stuff that was going on in england yeah, this but, era was like when this was when like raving started, kind of. But if you, but every, every big city has a touch of it. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think this just like the second summer of love. That's like where they're saying like it originated, and then it kind of yeah. Because like England, the, Europe in general is like the originators of the rave scene. You know what I mean? Europe's usually ahead of us by six months or so, and pretty much. Most things, but not all of them. I don't know about fashion, though. Mm -hmm. I feel like their fashion sense is a little behind. Well, they're they're, they're always a little dark over there. (laughs) But, yeah, so apparently, like, this was the era of Acid House, and this is when, like, Ecstasy, Molly, LSD really came into the rave scene and became what what it is now. And apparently there was a lot of, like, psychedelic art happening, and so that's why people look back on it and say... That, which I think is interesting because that was happening over there. The era, just like, well, actually late 80s, early 90s, club kids here in yeah. the U.S. I'm enamored with the club kids. <laughs> I When I learned about the club kids, I learned about them when I was in college. I was like, I'm a club kid. <laughs> I was yeah, like, you, you kind of were. Yeah. I wish so badly. Like, I swear I, I had a past life in the 80s and the early 90s. Because I, I think I overdosed and died. I say this all the time. Like, I think I died in a club. Ziggy, lay down. Well, you know, I met your mom in 91. Yeah, and then I was born in 98. So that's just, like, that's enough time. I was, like, living somewhere in somebody else's meat carcass. And I was out there partying. I just know it. Because there's just something that's, like, so, like, oh, what is the word? I'm... I want to say like carnage, but that's not the right word. But there's something that's in me that's like activated when I watch like videos or movies and stuff about like that era of just like the insane partying. I'm like, it's it's probably the addict in me, really. <laughs> but well, your your mother loved that kind of stuff. Uh, she really liked going out to clubs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Well, I read her journal one time, and she was writing about me, and it was like she just wrote Zoe. Period. Like RuPaul, Cher, and Madonna. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, like I, she was like, just Zoe. Like you don't need yeah. anything else, just Zoe. Yeah. And so I was like, no wonder I love RuPaul. Right. <laughs> well, he covered Elton John. So he had a special place in her heart. Yeah. There's a video somewhere around here. Uh, they did the little song together. Yeah. I've seen that. We have it here somewhere. We have it on like a video. <laughs> yeah, maybe she said it, it's in all her video stuff somewhere around. I'm not here. surprised. I had to watch that a couple hundred times. I, I mean, wish she would have lived long enough. You could have gone to an Elton John concert with her. Me too. Dad, you would have had a blast. He's he's almost done touring, right? Like he's on his last. I tour. feel like he's been on his last tour it, forever. It, it's been. I think it's a three-year period. I think he's got one more year. <laughs> I, I'm serious, because he announced this show for Charlotte two years before it happened, and it just happened, like, what, last month or so? Yeah. And I think he's got another year to go. Yeah, I was like, I feel like I've been hearing about this forever. Yeah. Well, it's a world tour. 
Yeah. So. Okay. Well, yeah, so that's the second Summer of Love. I, there's, like, arguments for the third Summer of Love, which is around um, 2004, which is one that people say. I want to say it's one of the OG, is it, like, Lollapalooza or um, what's the other one that's, like, Lollapalooza? It's not Bonnaroo that I'm thinking of. It's another one of those, like, OG festivals. Uh, there was one that the guy from Jane's Addiction had that was touring, and then he... No, that was Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza. Maybe it's Lollapalooza. I'm Lollapalooza used to go and travel all around. It would it, be in different spaces? Different spaces. They had one in Charlotte, which was incredible. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Is yeah. that you went to it, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, the second year, me and Holly went. Yeah. And it was the Chili Peppers, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. It was everybody that became big out of that generation yeah. they were all at on that second Lollapalooza the first one they tried to have bigger stars mm -hmm. uh, Jane's Addiction was on the second one I think they headlined okay but it was just everybody and it was fantastic the Chili cool. Peppers were they had like maybe three albums out they yeah. just had that album out they got big and they were huge they were bigger than their place on the tour because it was happening as they yeah, were touring. That's really cool. And Pearl Jam was doing the same thing. Uh, by the time that tour was over, both of them were huge. Soundgarden got pretty popular off that tour. Did they ever go to the UK, Lollapalooza? Or somewhere in Europe? Uh, they did, but I don't think it was called Lollapalooza over there. I think a lot of the same people did a tour where they went over there. Okay, because I, I feel like what I'm thinking of, I was trying to find it because this was back when I had a corporate job and I didn't want to work. I would mm -hmm. just like fall down rabbit holes, like just looking up <laughs> stuff. And so it was back when I was researching then. So I was looking at this in probably April or May and I couldn't find what I was looking at because it's not yeah. like a unanimous everyone agrees that this happened in 2004 the third summer of love but I was like reading an article that was like making an argument for it and it was like one of those like big OG festivals when it was like still kind of like fresh and becoming yeah. like getting their their sea legs if you will and they were saying that the festival was just so magical it was like almost like a summer of love experience like people were hopping the fences and joining but it was like nothing went wrong like it was right. for the most part very peaceful and everyone was doing drugs and whatever um and then Another Summer of Love argument that I've been seeing that I was looking at today, which I don't know if I agree with, but also, I don't know, is the argument that, like, people were saying that 2021 summer was almost like a Summer of Love because we were coming out of the pandemic, which I don't really agree with, but I also wasn't going out and, like, partying as much, although I knew it was picking back up. And then 2020, they they argue, I know here in the States I wasn't doing anything, but they say over in UK raving is such a huge part of their lifestyle over there like if you're going out like you're going to be listening to like hard style and like drum and bass and like yeah everyone listens to it like everyone listens to edm we're like over here if like you listen to edm either you do or you don't like people look at you and they're like oh you like go to raves you go to festivals like edm ones like it's like you do or you don't but in the uk it, or in just in europe in general it feels like everyone can agree that they all listen to like edm and so during the pandemic during 2020, they were having all sorts of illegal raves. Yeah, they probably were. I actually met so. a girl who, like, is here right now in the U.S., like, and she lives in England, and she's visiting, and she was like, oh, yeah, we were partying like crazy. And so they're, like, arguing that that was, like, 
its own kind of counterculture movement where the whole everyone just decided they're like, no, we're we're partying. We're having our summer of love. So it's none of these are like definitive, but it's interesting to see. I wonder if we will have a third summer of love. Yeah, we probably will. I don't know whether it'll be called that until history historians look at it. Yeah. But when you talk about the, the difference between the UK and the US, uh, over there in the UK, they, the UK, England's been around forever. I know. Isn't it crazy to think they, that there's buildings over there that are like thousands of years old? They have more of an attitude of like, it's going to all pass. America's 250 years old. We, we're over here like, oh my God. That's so true. I didn't even think of it that way. You know, and we had a crazy president during the pandemic who just steered us right into it being horrific. Yeah. Because you know, he gave us no direction. Oh, it'll be gone. It's going to go away. The air will just carry it away. He actually said Ew, that. the way you said that like sounded like him. That's <laughs> well, nice to. That was um, creepy. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, I, I think they have a different perspective mm-hmm. in Europe compared to us here. Uh, I was in Germany once, and this is where I was standing in this building, and this guy goes, well, this building's only like, <laughs> it's only been here since like 300 A.D., and we looked so up, and, and the whole top of the building was just covered black because people had been smoking in there since 300 AD. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. It's hard to believe. Like, sometimes I'm like, wow, we're really only like 200-something years old. Yeah. We're babies. Little babies. And, and the worst thing is we've got everybody over here from every culture trying to shove their culture down each other's throat at this point in our history. We don't really work together very well. We work against each other in every possible way. And that's been a change in my lifetime. Yeah. I can remember you, you had each party, and then they'd go and you'd have the election, and then they would kind of come together, try and work toward things. But that changed in the 70s. There was a guy named Lee Atwater who changed that. He, he created basically the discourse in Republicans and the Democrats, he started to fighting between yeah. the two, right? You know, dirty ads. Yeah, know. I actually remember, that's like one thing I do remember learning in history classes, yeah. like yeah. them telling us it wasn't always this way. It just like nah. got very snarky. Mid-70s. After the summer of love. After, <laughs> after Nixon. Uh, Atwater yeah. had connections to Nixon, but he was afterward. Such a shame. So did you party at all in the 80s? Were you in the 80s cocaine club scene? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I partied a pretty good bit. Uh, I didn't party as much then as I did in the 90s. Did uh, you go to raves? One or two. What, what were they like? Intense, mass, sweaty. Bomb were there people with like, sorry, I interrupted you. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, it's just like, just dancing. People of all types. Um, and that was colors. <laughs> and I that mean, was colors, man. I mean, I mean, it was just, you know, it was cool. Did people have like the pacifiers and the like light up jewelry and stuff? Yeah, some. I did see some of that. Were people tweaking? That was more probably in the, uh, I'd say, late 90s, early 90s. When I first met your mom, we used to go out to some clubs and stuff before we had you guys. Yeah. Uh, we met and started going out some in 91. Ben was born in 
June of 93, so by September or so of 92, we were pregnant. Damn, that was quick. Yeah, so I would say from early 91 through 92, we went to a lot of clubs. I mean, that's what we did because it's easy to do. What? Did you go to the Noda area at that time? Because I was actually, there's like a Charlotte retro Instagram page and I watched this video a couple days ago that they posted where they would do like a gallery crawl back when there were actual like art galleries and stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And now it's too expensive for people to do stuff like that. But were you, did you ever go out there and like witness any of that? We went to a couple gallery crawls. Uh, Basically, basically you were going and looking at art. It weren't so much music at that point. She had friends that uh, actually participated. And did art. And so we would go and see some of their stuff. That's so cool. Because I was watching that and I was like, wow, it's so different now. Because they talked about the history of how it used to be like predominantly a black neighborhood that was like boarded up and like very like in the eyes of Charlotteans. They didn't. Are you talking about Noda? Yeah. Yeah. They like did. You didn't go there. Yeah. And the things we were going to weren't there. Yeah, well, and then, like, someone, like, we had, like, investors come in and, like, clean it up and, like, change it and make it into, like, where it was a safe space for gal or quote, I'm putting quotes, safe space for galleries. And then the gallery crawls kind of happened. Yeah. And then gallery crawls, at the point that I'm thinking about, were probably more over on um, Elizabeth okay. a- Avenue, uh, right there in that area in front of the hospital and stuff. There was more, uh, there was more art and stuff. I wish we had, that's the only thing I feel like we're truly lacking here in Charlotte is like, I mean, there's obviously things we could fix. It's a big city, but I just wish we had a greater art scene. It's probably out there and it's just probably not getting publicized. I mean, it's definitely out there. I just wish we had more of it. Yeah. Like, I just, I wish we had more of it. (laughs) Get out there and get it going, girl. (laughs) I am. Y'all got to come to Bramari Brewery on September 22nd. I'm going to be doing some poetry there. I'm a feature performer, apparently, so that's exciting. There you go. That's the day before my dad's birthday, day before Aww. Chris Sims' birthday. It's for the autumn equinox, cool. so definitely check that out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just love, like, watching old videos of, like, the 80s and 90s. I, like, have this, like, archive Ibiza page that I look at, and it's, like, some of the old, like, dance and rave clubs from, like, the 90s, and just looking, like, I love people watching yeah. now, so, like... People watching like videos like that of people just out there getting it. I'm like, oh, love that. I enjoy when I see like a uh, someone took a movie or something at like the Milestone or the Pterodactyl places like that, old clubs. Yeah. yeah and, that, and every now and then, at the Milestone, I'll see pictures of me knocking someone to the ground. <laughs> Out there curb stomping. Yeah, people. with Gil up on my shoulder and we're running and knocking people down. Oh my god, I love it. Cool. I feel like this was an awesome episode. Do you have anything that you want to like throw out there? That's cool. Okay, cool. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there for now. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with my dad. He'll definitely be back on for some more. This was fun. Um, all right. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Profsket Podcast. That's at P-R-O-F-S-K-E-P Podcast. You can email me at professionalskepticismpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And I think that's it. So yeah, come out to the brewery. I'm going to post about it. Come see me do some poetry and share in the transition of the seasons. 
I love you guys so much. Stay sus skeptics. Mwah.